Good evening, friends, and welcome to Sleepy Tom Tales, a podcast aimed at helping you to get a good night's sleep. Do you find your mind plagued with the stresses of modern life, especially when the lights are out and you're trying to get a restful night? Does your spinning mind keep you awake? Follow my voice down the path towards a good night's rest. Listen to me tell a story that will keep your mind from wandering to your daytime problems. The ones you can't solve right now and will be easier to solve while rested. Listen to my voice and allow yourself to drift, following the twists and turns of the story, but slowly letting go and drifting into sleep. Before we get on with the show, I'd like to ask for a little bit of support. If you are listening to Sleepy Time Tales, find it that it helps you to get a good night's sleep, and you would like to help out, and you have, importantly, if you have the means, please consider supporting it on Patreon at patreon.com sleepytimetales. This is a monthly system of support that not only helps me keep the lights on, but can also get you fun bonuses based on your contribution level. From as little as $2 a month, you get weekly access to early release on the main episodes, so that you get your fresh sleep aid on a Wednesday instead of a Sunday. And $5 gets you weekly bonus minisodes, special edits, and a monthly megasode, which is all the previous month's releases in one big listen. I'd like to thank Terry for signing up to the Patreon, and helping out to cover costs and help keep Sleepy Time Tales available for free to all listeners. Welcome to the team, Terry, and I'm grateful for your support. But monthly may seem like a big ask. And if that's the case, you can make one-off tips through buymeacoffee.com slash sleepytimetales or the tip jar on the website. I've also got some merchandise up on the Tee Public store, which you can reach to the show notes or via the website, sleepytimetales.net. But while money is handy, another way you can help out a huge way you can help out, in fact, is simply to spread the word. If you know anybody who's struggling to sleep and you think that listening to my boring, droney voice is going to be helpful to them, just tell them about it. Whether it's in person or on social media, everything helps. And if you do it on social media, please make sure to tag me in. That's at Sleepy Time Tales on Instagram or Twitter, so I can thank you and give you a shout out. And the last shout-out i got to do, of course, is the music, which is Sweet Night and Friends by Kumiku. Their music is available on their website at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Thanks for taking the time. Let's get back to the show. So what exactly is Sleepy Time Tales? What is it for? What is this strange idea, this strange thing, this podcast that you're supposed to fall asleep to? But in the 21st century, lack of sleep is a health crisis, and this is a podcast intended to help those that it can to get a restful night. Do you find yourself lying awake at night, mind spinning and emotions in turmoil with anxieties of 21st century life? Do you wake up in the middle of the night and find yourself not quite able to doze back off for 3am? I'm here to help. My name is Dave, and I'm your narrator. Here to help you into a restful night. Sleepy Time Tales is intended to be used as a distraction to what keeps you awake at night, or sometimes background noise or company. 
That's why I make these episodes quite long, so that I'm here for you, without any pressure of the end coming. Now as far as I know, there are a couple of different ways to engage. The primary idea of Sleepy Time Tales is that it gives you something to focus on, a story or an event that lets you keep your mind on a specific point, to stop it from spinning out into stress and anxieties, to focus just enough not to resist the embrace of a night's sleep. But maybe you need something a little bit different. Maybe you just need something in the background. Some people like white noise, or sound of the ocean, or wind in the trees, or music, or maybe you just need a boring dude droning on. But it's very important that you don't try force to sleep. Just keep a light mental grip on the thread of the story and on my voice, and allow the need for sleep to come for you. Now obviously, if all goes well, I'm hoping you'll be asleep before I get to the end of the episode. But don't feel pressurized. This may not work on the first night. It probably won't, actually. I recommend giving it a solid three nights for two get used to the idea of listening to my voice. Maybe my accent is a bit strange. Maybe the oddity of the whole thing just needs a little bit of uh, getting used to. Or maybe, initially at least, one episode just isn't long enough. And also, maybe your problem isn't so much going to sleep. Maybe you do fall asleep at night and wake up at 3am and find yourself staring at the ceiling, not quite awake, not quite asleep, and not sure how to deal with that. What I recommend you do, if you're one of those folks, and it's actually pretty much the story of my life, is I recommend downloading a whole bunch of episodes into your podcatcher of choice, putting them all in a playlist and starting in the latest and let them go. That way, when you wake up in the middle of the night, if your earbuds have fallen out, if that's how you're listening, or if your smart speaker's still going, you can just carry on listening and allow sleep to come back again. You can even do similar if you wake up before your alarm, 60 minutes or as little as 30 minutes. It might seem pointless, what is an extra 30 minutes sleep going to do for you, but there is something about allowing deep relaxation right before the alarm that's satisfying on a whole new level. I've even had people actually thank me for suggesting that they do this. So that's the idea. You engage with the show wherever you need it, and you just relax. If this is new and seems strange to you, just give it a chance. Because I'm here to work with you, to create a safe space, a cocoon in which you can curl up and allow nature to take its course. So if you're still with me, thank you for staying. If you're already asleep, We'll chat again soon. And of course, you aren't hearing me, except maybe in a dream. It's been a long break, but tonight we return to Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Chapter 10 The day passed, much as the day before had done. Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley had spent some hours of the morning with the invalid, who continued, though slowly, to mend. And in the evening Elizabeth joined their party in the drawing room. The loo table, however, did not appear. Mr. Darcy was writing and Miss Bingley, seated near him, was watching the progress of his letter and repeatedly calling off his attention by messages to his sister. 
Mr. Hurst and Mr. Bingley were at piquet, and Mrs. Hurst was observing their game. Elizabeth took up some needlework and was sufficiently amused in attending to what passed between Darcy and his companion. The perpetual commendations of the lady, either on his handwriting or on the evenness of his lines, or on the length of his letter, with the perfect unconcern with which her praises were received, formed a curious dialogue, and was exactly in union with her opinion of each. How delighted Miss Darcy will be to receive such a letter. He made no answer. You write uncommonly fast. You are mistaken. I will write rather slowly. How many letters you must have occasion to write in the course of a year. Letters of business too. How odious I should think them. And it's fortunate then that they fall to my lot instead of yours. Pray tell your sister that I long to see her. I have already told her so once by your desire. I'm afraid you do not like your pen. Let me mend it for you. I mend pens remarkably well. Thank you, but I always mend my own. How can you contrive to write so even? He was silent. Tell your sister I am delighted to hear of her improvement on the harp and pray let her know that I am quite in raptures with her beautiful little design for a table, and I think it infinitely superior to Miss Grantley's. Will you give me leave to defer your raptures till I write again? At present I have not room to do them justice. Oh, it is of no consequence. I shall see her in January. But do you always write such charming long letters to her, Mr. Darcy? They are generally long, but whether always charming, it is not for me to determine. It is a rule with me that a person who can write a long letter with ease cannot write ill. That will not do for a compliment to Darcy, Caroline, cried her brother, because he does not write with ease. He studies too much for words of four syllables. Do you not, Darcy? My style of writing is very different from yours. Oh, cried Miss Bingley, Charles writes in the most careless way imaginable. He leaves out half his words and blots the rest. My ideas flow so rapidly that I have not time to express them, by which means my letters sometimes convey no ideas at all to my correspondence. Your humility, Mr. Bingley, said Elizabeth, must disarm reproof. Nothing is more deceitful, said Darcy, than the appearance of humility. It is often only carelessness of opinion and sometimes an indirect boast. And which of the two do you call my little recent piece of modesty? The indirect boast. For you are really proud of your defects in writing, because you consider them as proceeding from a rapidity of thought and carelessness of execution, which if not estimable, you think at least highly interesting. The power of doing anything with quickness is always prized much by the possessor, and often without any attention to the imperfection of the performance. When you told Mrs. Bennet this morning that if you ever resolved upon quitting Netherfield, you would be gone in five minutes, 
You meant it to be a sort of panjaric, of compliment to yourself. And yet what is there so very laudable in a precipitance which must leave very necessary business undone, and cannot be of no real advantage to yourself or anyone else? Nay, cried Bingley, this is too much. To remember at night all the foolish things that were said in the morning. And yet, upon my honour, I believe what I said of myself to be true, and I believe it at this moment. At least, therefore, I did not assume the character of needless precipitance, merely to show off before the ladies. I dare say you believed it, but I am by no means convinced that you would be gone with such celerity. Your conduct would be quite as dependent on chance as that of any man I know. And if, as you were mounting your horse, a friend were to say, Bingley, you had better stay till next week, you would probably do it. You would probably not go, and at another word, might stay a month. You have only proved by this, cried Elizabeth, that Mr. Bingley did not do justice to his own disposition. You have shown him off now much more than he did himself. I am exceedingly gratified, said Bingley, by your converting what my friend says into a compliment on the sweetness of my temper. But I am afraid you are giving it a turn which that gentleman did by no means intend, for he would certainly think better of me if under such a circumstance I were to give a flat denial and ride off as fast as I could. Would Mr. Darcy then consider the rashness of your original intentions as atoned for by your obstinacy in adhering to it? Upon my word, I cannot explain exactly the matter. Darcy must speak for himself. You expect me to account for opinions which you choose to call mine, but which I have never acknowledged. Allowing the case, however, to stand according to your representation, you must remember, Miss Bennet, that the friend who is supposed to desire his return to the house, and the delay of his plan, has merely desired it, asked it without offering one argument in favour of its propriety. To yield readily, easily, to the persuasion of a friend, is no merit with you. To yield without conviction is no compliment to the understanding of either. You appear to me, Mr. Darcy, to allow nothing for the influence of friendship and affection. A regard for the requester would often make one readily yield to a request, without waiting for arguments to reason one into it. I am not particularly speaking of such a case as you have supposed upon Mr. Bingley. We may as well wait, perhaps till the circumstance occurs before we discuss the discretion of his behaviour thereupon. But in general, in ordinary cases between friend and friend, where one of them is desired by the other to change a resolution of no very great moment, should you think ill of that person for complying with the desire, without waiting to be argued into it? Will it not be advisable, before we proceed on this subject, to arrange with rather more precision the degree of importance which is to appertain to this request? as well as the degree of intimacy subsisting between the parties. 
By all means, cried Bingley, let us hear all the particulars, not forgetting their comparative height and size. For that will have more weight in the argument, Miss Bennet, than you may be aware of. I assure you that if Darcy were not such a great tall fellow in comparison with myself, I should not pay him half so much deference. I declare I do not know a more awful object than Darcy on particular occasions, and in particular places, at his own house especially, and of a Sunday evening when he has nothing to do. Mr. Darcy smiled, but Elizabeth thought she could perceive that he was rather offended, and therefore checked her laugh. Miss Bingley warmly resented the indignity he had received, and in expostulation with her brother for talking such nonsense. I see your design, Bingley, said his friend. You dislike an argument and want to silence this. Perhaps I do. Arguments are too much like disputes. If you and Miss Bennet will defer yours till I'm out of the room, I shall be very thankful, and then you may say whatever you like of me. What you ask, said Elizabeth, is no sacrifice on my side, and Mr. Darcy had much better finish his letter. Mr. Darcy took her advice and did finish his letter. When that business was over, he applied to Miss Bingley and Elizabeth for an indulgence of some music. Miss Bingley moved with some alacrity to the pianoforte, and after a polite request that Elizabeth would lead the way, which the other as politely and more earnestly negative, she seated herself. Mrs. Hurst sang with her sister, and while they were less employed, Elizabeth could not help observing, as she turned over some music books that lay on the instrument, how frequently Mr. Darcy's eyes were fixed on her. She hardly knew how to suppose that she could be an object of admiration to so great a man, and yet that he should look at her because he disliked her was still more strange. She could only imagine, however, at last, that she drew his notice, because there was something more wrong and reprehensible, according to his ideas of right, than in any other person present. The supposition did not pain her. She liked him too little to care for his approbation. After playing some Italian songs, Miss Bingley varied the charm by a lively Scotch air. And soon afterwards, Mr. Darcy, drawing near Elizabeth, said to her, Do you not feel a great inclination, Miss Bennet? to seize such an opportunity of dancing a reel. She smiled, but made no answer. He repeated the question, with some surprise at her silence. Oh, said she, I heard you before, but I could not immediately determine what to say in reply. You wanted me, I know, to say yes that you might have the pleasure of despising my taste. But I always delight in overthrowing these kinds of schemes and cheating a person of their premeditated contempt. I have, therefore, made up my mind to tell you that I do not want to dance a reel at all. 
and now despise me if you dare. Indeed, I do not dare. Elizabeth, having rather expected to affront him, was amazed at his gallantry. But there was a mixture of sweetness and archness in her manner, which made it difficult for her to affront anybody. And Darcy had never been so bewitched by any woman as he was by her. He really believed that were it not for the inferiority of her connection, he should be in some danger. Miss Bingley saw, or suspected enough, to be jealous, and her great anxiety for the recovery of her dear friend Jane received some assistance from her desire of getting rid of Elizabeth. She often tried to provoke Darcy into disliking her guest, by talking of their supposed marriage and planning his happiness in such an alliance. I hope, said she, as they were walking together in the shrubbery the next day, that you'll give your mother-in-law a few hints when this desirable event takes place, as to the advantage of holding her tongue, and if you can compass it to cure the younger girls of running after officers. And if I may mention so delicate a subject, endeavour to check that little something, bordering on conceit and impertinence which your lady possesses. Have you anything else to propose for my domestic felicity? Oh yes. Do you let the portraits of your uncle and Aunt Phillips be placed in the galley at Pemberley? Put them next to your great-uncle, the judge. They are in the same profession, you know, only in different lines. As for your Elizabeth's picture, you must not have it taken, for what painter could do justice to those beautiful eyes? It would not be easy indeed to catch their expression, but their colour and shape, and the eyelashes, so remarkably fine, might be copied. At that moment they were met from another walk by Mrs. Hurst and Elizabeth herself. I did not know that you intended to walk, said Miss Bingley in some confusion, lest they had been overheard. You used us abominably ill, answered Mrs. Hurst, running away without telling us that you were coming out. Then taking the disengaged arm of Mr. Darcy, she left Elizabeth to walk by herself. The path just admitted three. Mr. Darcy felt their rudeness and immediately said, The walk is not wide enough for our party. We'd better go into the avenue. But Elizabeth, who had not the least inclination to remain with them, laughingly answered, No, no, stay where you are. You are charmingly grouped and appear to uncommon advantage. The picturesque would be spoilt by admitting a fourth. Goodbye. She then ran gaily off rejoicing as she rambled about, in the hope of being at home again in a day or two. Jane was already so much recovered, so as to intend leaving her room for a couple of hours that evening. Chapter 11 When the ladies removed after dinner, Elizabeth ran up to her sister, and seeing her well guarded from cold, attended her into the drawing room where she was welcomed by her two friends with many professions of pleasure. 
and Elizabeth had never seen them so agreeable as they were during the hour which passed before the gentlemen appeared. Their powers of conversation were considerable. They could describe an entertainment with accuracy, relate an anecdote with humour, and laugh at their acquaintance with spirit. But when the gentlemen appeared, Jane was no longer the first object. Miss Bingley's eyes were instantly turned toward Darcy, and she had something to say to him before he advanced many steps. He addressed himself to Miss Bennet with a polite congratulation. Mr. Hurst also made her a slight bow, and said he was very glad, but diffuseness and warmth remained for Bingley's salutation. He was full of joy and attention. The first half hour was spent in piling up the fire, lest she should suffer from the change of room, and she removed at his desire to the other side of the fireplace, that she might be further from the door. He then sat down by her and talked scarcely to anyone else. Elizabeth, at work in the opposite corner, saw it all with great delight. When tea was over, Mr. Hurst reminded his sister-in-law of the card table, but in vain. She had obtained private intelligence that Mr. Darcy did not wish for cards, and Mr. Hurst soon found even his open petition rejected. She assured him that no one intended to play, and the silence of the whole party on the subject seemed to justify her. Mr. Hurst had therefore nothing to do but to stretch himself on one of the sofas and go to sleep. Darcy took up a book, Miss Bingley did the same, and Mrs. Hurst, principally occupied in playing with the bracelets and rings, joined now and then in her brother's conversation with Miss Bennet. Miss Bingley's attention was quite as much engaged in watching Mr. Darcy's progress through his book as in reading her own, and she was perpetually either making some inquiry or looking at his page. She could not win him, however, to any conversation. He merely answered her question and read on. At length, quite exhausted by the attempt to be amused by her own book, which she had only chosen because it was the second volume of his, she gave a great yawn and said, how pleasant it is to spend an evening in this way. I declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book. When I have a house of my own, I shall be miserable if I have not an excellent library. No one made any reply. She yawned again, threw aside her book, and cast her eyes around the room in quest for some amusement. When hearing her brother mentioning a ball to Miss Bennet, she suddenly turned toward him and said, By the bar, Charles, are you really serious in meditating a dance at Netherfield? I would advise you, before you determine on it, to consult the wishes of the present party. I am much mistaken if there are not some among us to whom a ball would be rather a punishment than a pleasure. If you mean Darcy, cried her brother, he may go to bed, if he chooses, before it begins. But as for the ball, it is quite a settled thing, and as soon as Nichols has made white soup enough, I shall send round my cards. 
I should like balls infinitely better, she replied, if they were carried on in a different manner. But there is something insufferably tedious in the usual process of such a meeting. It would surely be much more rational if conversation instead of dancing were made the order of the day. Much more rational, my dear Caroline, I dare say, but it would not be near so much like a ball. Miss Bingley made no answer, and soon afterwards she got up and walked about the room. Her figure was elegant, and she walked well. But Darcy, at whom it was all aimed, was still inflexibly studious. In the desperation of her feelings, she resolved on one effort more, and turning to Elizabeth, said, Miss Eliza Bennet, let me persuade you to follow my example and take a turn around the room. I assure you it is very refreshing, after sitting so long in one attitude. Elizabeth was surprised, but agreed to it immediately. Miss Bingley succeeded no less in the real object of her civility. Mr. Darcy looked up. He was as much awake to the novelty of attention in that quarter as Elizabeth herself could be. And unconsciously he closed his book. He was directly invited to join their party, but he declined it, observing that he could imagine but two motives for their choosing to walk up and down the room together, with either of which motives his joining them would interfere. What could he mean? She was dying to know what could be his meaning, and asked Elizabeth whether she could at all understand him. Not at all was her answer, but depend upon it, he means to be severe on us, and our surest way of disappointing him will be to ask nothing about it. Miss Bingley, however, was incapable of disappointing Mr. Darcy in anything, and persevered therefore in requiring an explanation of his two motives. I have not the smallest objection to explaining them, said he, as soon as she allowed him to speak. You either choose this method of passing the evening because you're in each other's confidence and have secret affairs to discuss, or because you're conscious that your figures appear to be the greatest advantage in walking. If the first, I would be completely in your way, and if the second, then I could admire you as much better as I sit by the fire. Oh, shocking, cried Miss Bingley. I never heard anything so abominable. How shall we punish him for such a speech? Nothing so easy if you have but the inclination, said Elizabeth. We can all plague and punish one another. Tease him, laugh at him. Intimate as you are, you must know how it is to be done. But upon my honour I do not. I do assure you that my intimacy has not yet taught me that. Tease calmness of manner and presence of mind. No, no. I feel he may defy us here. And as to laughter, we will not expose ourselves, if you please, by attempting to laugh without a subject. Mr. Darcy may hug himself. Mr. Darcy is not to be laughed at, cried Elizabeth. That is an uncommon advantage, an uncommon I hope it will continue. For it would be a great loss to me to have many such acquaintances. I dearly love a laugh.
Miss Bingley, said he, has given me more credit than can be. The wisest and the best of men, nay, the wisest and best of their actions, may be rendered ridiculous by a person whose first object in life is a joke. Certainly, replied Elizabeth, there are such people, but I hope I am not one of them. I hope I never ridicule what is wise and good. Follies and nonsense, swims and inconsistencies do divert me. I own and I laugh at them whenever I can. But these, I suppose, are precisely what you are without. Perhaps that is not possible for anyone, but it has been the study of my life to avoid those weaknesses which often expose a strong understanding to ridicule, such as vanity and pride. Yes, vanity is a weakness indeed. But pride, where there is a real superiority of mind, pride will always be under good regulation. Elizabeth turned away to hide a smile. Your examination of Mr. Darcy is over, I presume, said Miss Bingley. And pray, what is the result? I am perfectly convinced by it that Mr. Darcy has no defect. He owns it himself without disguise. No, said Darcy, I have made no such pretension. I have faults enough, but they are not I hope of understanding. My temper I dare not vouch for. It is, I believe, too little yielding, certainly too little for the convenience of the world. I cannot forget the follies and vices of others so soon as I ought, nor their offences against myself. My feelings are not puffed about with every attempt to move them. My temper would perhaps be called resentful. My good opinion, once lost, is lost forever. That is a failing indeed, cried Elizabeth. Implacable resentment is a shade in a character. But you have chosen your fault well. I really cannot laugh at it. You are safe from me. There is, I believe, in every disposition a tendency to some particular evil, a natural defect which not even the best education can have overcome. And your defect is to hate everybody? And yours, he replied with a smile, is willfully to misunderstand them. Do let us have a little music, cried Miss Bingley, tired of a conversation in which she had no share. Louisa, you will not mind my waking Mr. Hurst. Her sister had not the smallest objection, and the pianoforte was opened and Darcy, after a few moments' recollection, was not sorry for it. He began to feel the danger of paying Elizabeth too much attention. Chapter 12 In consequence of an agreement between the sisters, Elizabeth wrote the next morning to their mother to beg that the carriage might be sent for them in the course of the day. But Mrs. Bennet, who had calculated on her daughter's remaining at Netherfield till the following Tuesday, which would exactly finish Jane's week, could not bring herself to receive them with pleasure before. Her answer, therefore, was not propitious, at least not to Elizabeth's wishes, for she was impatient to get home. Mrs. Bennet sent them word that they could not possibly have the carriage before Tuesday, and in her postscript it was added, 
that if Mr. Bingley and his sister pressed them to stay longer, she could spare them very well. Again staying longer, however, Elizabeth was positively resolved. Nor did she expect it would be asked, and fearful, on the contrary, as being considered as intruding themselves needlessly long. She urged Jane to borrow Mr. Bingley's carriage immediately, and at length it was settled that the original design of leaving Netherfield that morning should be mentioned, and the request made. The communication excited many professions of concern, and enough was said of wishing them to stay at least till the following day to work on Jane, until the morrow their going was deferred. Miss Bingley was then sorry that she had proposed the delay, for her jealousy and dislike of one sister much exceeded her affection for the other. The master of the house heard with real sorrow that they were to go so soon, and repeatedly tried to persuade Miss Bennet that it would not be safe for her, that she was not enough recovered. But Jane was firm where she felt herself to be right. To Mr. Darcy it was welcome intelligence. Elizabeth had been at Netherfield long enough. She attracted him more than he liked and Miss Bingley was uncivil to her, and more teasing than usual to himself. He wisely resolved to be particularly careful that no sign of admiration should now escape him. Nothing that could elevate her with the hope of influencing his felicity. Sensible that if such an idea had been suggested, his behaviour during the last day must have material weight in confirming or crushing it. Steady to his purpose, he scarcely spoke ten words to her throughout the whole of Saturday, and though they were at one time left by themselves for half an hour, he adhered most conscientiously to his book, and would not even look at her. On Sunday, after morning service, the separation, so agreeable to almost all, took place. Miss Bingley's civility to Elizabeth increased at last very rapidly as well as her affection for Jane. And when they parted, after assuring the latter of the pleasure it would always give her to see her either at Longbourn or Netherfield, and embracing her most tenderly, she even shook hands with the former. Elizabeth took leave of the whole party in the liveliest of spirits. They were not welcomed home very cordially by their mother. Mrs. Bennet wondered at their coming, and thought them very wrong to give so much trouble, and was sure Jane would have caught cold again. But their father, though very laconic in his expressions of pleasure, was really glad to see them. He had felt the importance in the family circle. The evening conversation, when they were all assembled, had lost much of its animation, and almost all its sense by the absence of Jane and Elizabeth. They found Mary, as usual, deep in the study of through base and human nature, and had some extracts to admire, and some new observations of threadbare morality to listen to. Catherine and Lydia had information for them of a different sort. 
much had been done and much had been said in the regiment since the preceding Wednesday. Several of the officers had dined lately with their uncle. A private had been flogged, and it actually had been hinted that the Colonel Foster was going to be married. And uh, I haven't been very well lately, so my voice is about to give out. So it's a little bit short, but I think I'm going to call it there for tonight. As always, if you'd like to pick up where we left off, you can find uh, Pride and Prejudice on Project Gutenberg at the link in the show notes, or watch one of the many televised or movie versions, or even the one with the zombies or the Bollywood version. This is, after all, one of the great stories that's been remade and retold many, many times. Thanks again for joining me on this episode of Sleepy Time Tales, the podcast designed around a bedtime story to help you to get a restful night. New episodes will be released every Sunday night to give you something fresh to help you rest in a new week, but make sure to subscribe in whatever service you use so that you get your new episodes whenever they come out. A reminder that the music for tonight is Sweet Night and Friends by Kumiko. Check out more of their work on their website, which you'll find linked in the show notes. Good night and sweet dreams. <laughs>